Awesome. Y'all sounded good. Great, great. Y'all did phenomenal. Thank y'all. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to be in God's house. A lot of times we're next door and we don't get to get over here. We're working with the kids. And it's a rare occasion to uh, be over here. And I, I count it a great privilege. Thank you guys for making your way out this morning and being in the house of God. I've got some thoughts for you today, and if uh, Joe Arthur happened to be here, you know what he'd say? Take your Bibles and open them anywhere you want to, because it's all good. <laughs> How many times have you been at home, and the world's just kind of got on your back, and you don't know what to do? You don't have the answers for the challenges that you're facing, and whatever's coming to your life. And if you're normal, you have a testimony that you sat down one day, and you just said, God, I need a word. And you opened it, and it just happened to be the verse that you needed to get you through a challenge. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? That's a testimony to God's Word. You know, there's a verse that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16. And it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know what that tells me? Every word in it is inspired by God, and that means every bit of it is inspirational. We could literally just open the Bible this morning and take a verse and expound on it, and we would walk out of those doors and say, God, it was good to be in the house of the Lord today because there's not a bad verse in the book. Thank the Lord for that. So based on that, I'm going to take comfort this morning to know that God is going to minister to my heart through the message. And I believe that if you'll open your heart and mind this morning, that God will challenge your heart and mind as well as we dig into His Word. I want you to look at Exodus with me at chapter 4 and verse number 1. I want to use this for a text verse today. Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Well, What was Moses' problem here? Moses had an excuse as to why he could not be the one called by God to step out and do what God had called him to do. He basically said in so many words, No, Lord, you've got to have it wrong. If you look on down a few verses in Exodus 4 and verse number 10, Moses continues with his explanation. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll bless your word this morning. I have no doubt we'll walk out of here saying it was good to be in the house of the Lord because your word has been broken. I'm reminded of when you walked with those two disciples after your death and resurrection. And they were sad of heart, and you walked with them on the road to Emmaus. When you got to the house, you broke bread. And in that moment, they realized they were sitting with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Lord, I pray for one of those experiences today. May today be a bread-breaking day when we realize we are sitting in the presence of You. Lord, we love You. We thank You for what You're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. What you see in Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 1 is an immediate excuse from Moses why he cannot do what God has called him to do. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. You've heard the saying, An excuse only sounds good to the person who is making it. Usually on the receiving end, you're shaking your head and going, that sounds like a terrible excuse to me. And sometimes we vocalize that, and most of the time we don't. You ever been on the struggle bus with God because He called you to do something? Yeah, it's different when we're talking about Moses. Boy, when God knocks on my heart and says, Paul, I want you. Yeah. Ouch. Man, how can we argue with God sometimes about our abilities? Or I might say our inabilities. How many of y'all got inabilities when it comes to God calling you to do something? 
arguing with the one who created this mouth and put these lungs in our chest to suck air in and blow it back through those vocal cords and to speak his word to somebody in a time of need. Use that mouth to glorify God at times in our lives when others are listening when maybe they wouldn't be otherwise and we shy and back away. We say things to God like, Lord, you've got the wrong address. Lord, you, you've, you've called the wrong number. Lord, you're barking up the wrong tree. Lord, 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 it's, it's got to be anybody but me. Surely, God, you are wrong. You say, we would never argue with God. Everybody in this building's argued with God. And some of us recently... Man, I've argued with God as to why he can't use me. You know, Moses was a quiet man. He didn't know how to talk in public. He was timid. He was shy. He was afraid to speak in public. He didn't like talking. He got tongue-tied real easy. And he always twisted his words when he tried to explain himself. That's his own testimony, what he just told God. I'll mess it up, Lord. Don't ask me to talk to Pharaoh. Don't ask me to talk to anybody because I can mess it up. In short, he looked at God and said, Please don't make me talk to others about how good, how you are going to use me to free the children of Israel from bondage to the Egyptians. And especially, you don't expect me to go before the king Pharaoh. And how many times we've acted the same way? We say to ourselves that we can't speak up for God for fear of ridicule or embarrassment or fear of being labeled as a holy roller on the job or for some other unforeseen consequence that may come because we stood up and took a stand and vocalized in a place where God asked us to speak. And let me say right here that Moses' excuses are petty and they're lame. And your excuses are petty and lame. And my excuses are petty and lame. Why would God call any of us to do anything if he didn't equip us to do it and knew we could do it? He designed this body. He designed this brain. He designed everything about us to be able to fulfill his will for our, for our lives. And we've got everything we need to do it. And so our excuses are, are lame. Let's do this before we go any further. I think this is important for us this morning. I want you all to take out your invisible permanent marker. Just hold it up for me if you will. All right. Take that thing. I don't care who's around you. Make it small or large if you're in a big area. And just paint a circle around you with that marker. Now, you are in the center of that circle you just made. I've prayed, and I'm praying this morning, and I've been convicted, and I'm going to be convicted. I've been challenged, and I'm going to be challenged. This circle that I just put around myself has me and me alone in it. And I stand in the need of prayer this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. Say, Lord, it's me, it's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. And ask God to invade your circle and speak to your heart and mind as I will do the same. Because I need a touch today, and you do too. I believe it would do us good to look at some background right quick related to Moses. So take your Bibles and look at Exodus chapter 2. I want to read a few verses, and I want to bring you up to our uh, text verse that we begin with and help it make sense for you. Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, And there went out a man of the house of Levi... And took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now you know why she's doing this. The Pharaoh has noticed that the children of Israel have grown in such a great number in Egypt, that if he doesn't do something soon, they're going to outgrow the Egyptians, and he's afraid that they'll take over the land. And he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send maidens over there, and you maidens are going to work with the handmaidens of the wives that bear children, and every time a male child is born to the Israelites, you're going to kill that child, and only the girls will be left alive, and we're going to slow this population. And that's why Moses' parents and Moses' mom are doing what they're doing. Verse 4. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. Imagine that. 
And her maidens walked away. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. Now I'm going to pause for just a brief second because these passages are all over the Word of God. This is a gift-wrapped gift from God above, straight to humanity for the many years to follow. And Pharaoh's daughter gets to open it. Now, I know she thinks it's a bassinet or a baby carriage or whatever. you. I don't know what you call these things. She's made this little ark is what the Bible calls it. And when she opens it, that baby's inside. And her heart melted for that child. And she fell in love instantly. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Do you see miracle after miracle after miracle here? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew one of his brethren. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment, and I want to share something critically important with you about Faith Baptist Church and any other church, for that matter, that's preaching the Word of God. What we have in the back is a nursery, and what we have in the back is a children's church on this side, and what we have in the gym is called Junior Church, and what we have coming up is called Camp Truth, and we have an Emerge program, and we have VBS that will be coming up on Wednesday nights during the summer. You know what our heart desire is for those children? To get enough in them while we've got them so that one day when they become of age, they'll do like Moses did. You just read the same scripture I did. Moses was, for all intents and purposes, an Egyptian. He was born a Hebrew. He was weaned a Hebrew. And then he was given to an Egyptian and he was raised in Egypt by an Egyptian mom and an Egyptian grandfather called a pharaoh. And But when he became of age, what did he do? He started going through the woods and he found his way back home and he found those people of Israel and he, his heart was still with them and he never lost sight of that. He never got far away from home enough. Egypt couldn't take it out of him is what I'm trying to say. And these children that we've got around here, I don't know where they'll go when they leave Emerge, when they leave high school. But our heart's desire is one day they'll look back and they'll do like Moses did and they'll come back home. And they'll have a heart's longing to get back to the things of God because that's how they were raised. That's their heritage. That's what they know at heart. And that's why you're dropping them off and letting us help you with what you're doing at home already. To raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To add what you're doing at home. And I praise God that He doesn't just do addition. He does multiplication. And when we get them, it's like multiplied. It's like multiplied. And it's like multiplied. Like the boy that gave his little gift to Jesus and said, I've only got five loaves and two fishes, but it's yours to use. And what happened? It didn't just plus and plus and plus. It multiplied until it fed all of those 5,000 that were on that hillside. And that's what we want God's blessings on your children. In verse 12 of this same chapter, it says, when he witnessed this fight, that he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Verse 15 of this same chapter says, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. You know, I just have to... I have to stop sometimes and consider what all is going on in Scripture. This is, again, basically Moses' grandfather, if you will, the Pharaoh. And he didn't want to hear the story. He just finds out about it, and immediately Moses 
is out of there because if he doesn't, Pharaoh's going to kill his own grandson. And that tells me he really never had anything for Moses because he knew Moses was a child of the king. He knew Moses was a Hebrew. He knew Moses was an Israelite. He never loved Moses. Man, there's a world out here that's going to never love your children. This world's never going to love me. Oh, it'll take me in and it'll harbor me and it'll, it'll nurture me and it'll give me some things that I like. It'll put fancy stuff on me and it'll dress me up and it'll want me to be just like it. But you know what? When the rubber meets the road and I start acting a little bit different, that world hates me. And that world hated him. And that man hated him. What grandfather does that to a grandson? Nobody, even if they are adopted or stepchild. It's not natural. And that natural affection that the world and the devil has for us is not spiritual. Look at verse 18. And when they came to Ruel, oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. Sorry, verse 15. And when Pharaoh heard the thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. You might not know this, but Moses, the one that's standing before God and saying, I can't talk, I can't speak, I'm slow of speech, I can't be used. Moses is a bad dude. Somebody's told me one time, don't, don't misconceive meekness for weakness because just because you're a meek person don't mean you're a weak person. And Moses might be quiet, but Moses is strong. Moses has some physical abilities, and when he takes charge, he takes charge and takes care of business. You also may not know this about Moses, but later on he slew maybe the largest man in all of the Bible. There's a man named Og, king of Bashan. And you may not know this, but if you... Study after you leave here today, you'll see. Og was so big that his bed was 15 feet long and 6 feet wide, and it was made out of steel. Now, what man needs a 15-foot-long 15 15 bed, 6 feet wide bed, made out of steel to hold up his body weight? Come on. You say what you want to, and believe whatever you want to. It's not going to change my belief this morning. I think Og made Goliath look like Goliath made David look. You know who slew Og? Moses. Don't confuse meekness with weakness. And when God calls us to do something, He already knows your inner strengths. And He knows where you can be used mightily in spite of our excuses. When they came... In verse 18, and when they came to rule their father, he said, how is it that you are come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian, did you hear me? They said, an Egyptian, they said, an Egyptian delivered us. Moses looked like an Egyptian. Moses talked like an Egyptian. Moses even acted like an Egyptian. But was he an Egyptian? No. You ever been so close to the world that you look like the world? You talk like the world and you acted like the world. But was you of the world? No, because you're a Christian. And I think that's big here. We've got to be careful when we go out here. What we look like, what we act like, what we talk like. They said an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. In verse 21, and Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave him Moses, he gave Moses, Zipporah, his daughter, to wife. Now look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Let's change gears just a little bit. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. Several years ago, Pastor Freeman had some conversations with me, and he said, you know, one of these days I'm going to do, do a series of messages on called Bumping Into God. 
Because even when you're on that road and you're running the wrong direction and you're like Moses, is running as far as he can now, it said he's on the, what part of the desert? The backside of the desert. He's gone as far as he can. And where does he end up? The mountain of God. <laughs> he's about to have an experience that's going to radically revolutionize and change his life for the rest of his life for the rest of all the other prophets' lives that would come after him, for all the other children of God that would ever be born after him, all the way up to us today and go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll read about this great man that's in the halls of faith all because he bumped into God. Or let me say, God bumped into him and interrupted his path of life. Thank God for the day you and I bumped into him. And somebody introduced us to God. He came even to Horeb in Exodus 3, 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And God began to talk to him out of that bush. Exodus 3, verse number 10 says, Moses, come now therefore. I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, the children of Israel were taken there by Joseph. Joseph lived in the land of Canaan. His father was Jacob. God later changed Jacob's name to Israel. Joseph's brothers hated him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him to the Midianites. The Midianites took him to Egypt and sold him into Egypt. He became a slave, falsely accused, imprisoned, interpret dreams, Finally, Pharaoh calls him up and says, I understand you can interpret dreams. He can. He did. Pharaoh made him the governor over all the land. There was a seven-year famine. Joseph sent back to Canaan and said, all of you guys need to come here because you're not going to survive there. They left the promised land. They left the land of Canaan. They came for safety into Egypt. Seventy people, children of Israel is what they're called. And that group of 70 people has now grown over a period of 400 years to 600,000 men, not including women and children. So you understand how large of a group of people this is, and now they're slaves or bonds, they're in bonds to the Egyptians. And the Lord said, Moses, out of the burning bush, you're the man. You are the one that is going to go back and release the children of Israel from the bondage that's in Egypt. And let's go back to Exodus chapter 4, 1, where we started. We've made full circle to get back to this point because I want to use the next few verses this morning to challenge our hearts. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And verse 2 says, And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod? And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses, important word here, fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And the craziest thing I've ever read in my life comes up next. He put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, we can't imagine this. But there's many of you in this room that have experienced approaching a snake unawares. Any of you act crazy and hurt yourself? Anybody want to say, that's me, that's me, oh Lord? <laughs> snake will scare you to death and make you pull muscles all over your body that you didn't know you pulled. And the next morning when you're trying to get out of bed, you're like, why does that hurt? What's wrong with that? It'll make you have a heart attack three times before you can get far enough away from the thing to strike you. And you know you're laying on the ground and it's easy prey. How many of you hate snakes? Man, Moses reached down and grabbed that thing by the tail like the Lord commanded him. And he took it up. I've titled the message this morning, Grab the Serpent Now. Listen to me right here. I've heard this a hundred times, maybe more. When they start breaking snakes out in church, I'm out of here. 
All right, now I can put up with a lot of crazies, and I can put up with some stuff, but if you ever break out a snake on stage now, y'all are in a Baptist church, right? Y'all didn't, y'all got it right, right? Y'all in the right place. I think it said Faith Baptist on the outside. But I did bring some snakes, okay? One person in the room is happy. And it ain't me. God said, take it by the tail. I actually have a, I think, maybe, yeah. I've actually got a, uh, a small snake, and a snake. All my snakes are fakes, okay? All right? All my snakes are fakes. Everybody understand that, all right? If I break out a real one, you have my permission to hurt me and then leave the church, okay? All right? In that order. But I, I have a small snake here this morning and and I just really want it to represent some things in our lives because most of the time uh, issues, challenges, things that come into our lives start out pretty small and a lot of times God convicts us, challenges us to deal with that thing now and if anybody else other than me is a procrastinator or a debater or an arguer or hardhead You say, I'll deal with it later. Well, Moses had some choices when that serpent was on the ground. Deal with it now or deal with it later. God said, take it by the tail. And I believe that signifies take it by the tail now. He didn't say wait till later. He didn't say wait till tomorrow. He didn't say wait until next week, next month, or next year. He said, take it by the tail. Here's what I know about serpents in my own life. They start small. And then they begin to grow. Now, I've got a couple examples of the growth process of a serpent, which I think is crazy. Anybody in here that raises a snake in the home, you are shot out. Okay, you, you ain't got... Did you hear that? Philip, that literally scared me. I really... Jason got me last week with that gift y'all gave us and knocked me in the floor. I mean, that, that really put me on my back. But you like to did it again, Philip. You know, God said, take it up, Moses. I know in my own life, when I don't take it up, God says, take it up. You know, did you miss that word that Moses fled from it? Do you know why Moses fled from it? Because there was a danger there. That serpent could turn around and strike him. That serpent could possibly constrict him. I don't know what all the dangers were, but it wasn't a garden snake. It wasn't a king snake. It wasn't a green snake. It was a poisonous serpent that had the potential to lethally injure Moses. And that's why when Moses saw it, he recognized it and he fled from it. He got away from that thing. God said, pick it up. To not pick it up means to wait till tomorrow, and to wait till tomorrow means the snake grew just a little bit. To not pick it up tomorrow and deal with it means that next week the snake grew just a little bit more. To not pick it up next month means that you're taking the, uh, for granted that God gave you power in that moment when he called you to pick it up, that you're still going to have that power when it gets bigger that you're going to be able to deal with it. you know where I'm going with this? How many of you ever picked up something really small in your life and it started out so simple? It was nothing to it. I can handle that. Only to one day wake up with a boa constrictor around your body of an issue that you can no longer control. It is controlling you. And these things grow. And they grow. And they slither around. And they can hide in places to where you're no longer in sight. And you have to worry about where they're going to come from next. Because you didn't, I didn't, we didn't. Pick it up and deal with it. Let's go a little bit further. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 8, God told him to pick it up by the tail, and he did. And it became a rod. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, nor hearken to the voice of the first sign, They will believe the voice of the second sign. 
Now, I'm going to take something from this scripture that has helped me a lot. It helped me tremendously when I saw it. Moses' argument was, God, I can't talk. God, I can't speak. I'm slow of speech. I stutter. Whatever it was that he told God. I can't do. I'm not eloquent. Well, God tells Moses right here, guess what, buddy? I don't need your voice. I don't need your tongue. All I need you to do is take up that serpent that's slithering around you, that's scaring you to death, and if you'll pick that joker up, I'm going to turn it into a rod. Now, what's going to happen is when you go before Pharaoh, he's going to ask you for a sign that you're the one that's supposed to come over here and deliver the children of Israel. If you're such a prophet, if you're such a man of God, surely you've got some miracle in your pocket. Well, God says, I'll tell you what, when he asks you for a sign or a miracle, throw your rod on the ground, and it's going to turn into a snake. And it ain't only going to scare you, it's going to scare everybody in the room. And you're going to take it by the tail right there in his presence, and Pharaoh's going to be blown away by that example. But if he's not, which we all know he's not going to be taken back too far with that example. This verse says that if he will not hearken to the voice of this first sign, they'll believe the voice of the latter sign. You know what the latter sign was for Pharaoh because he didn't deal with his issue and let the children of Israel go? Death of the firstborn son. Oh, it took ten plagues. It took Moses asking God to send another plague to soften his heart. Pharaoh's heart hard for ten plagues until the day came when Pharaoh lost his own firstborn son. Then he said, let the children of Israel go. Moses didn't have to say a whole lot. All he had to do was hold this rod up at times in his life and let God do the talking. A lot of times we don't need to be so loud in situations. And that verse says that there's a voice in what you do that speaks louder than what you say. God doesn't need our voice. He needs our actions. He's telling Moses in verse number 8 that if he would just obey and take the serpent up by the tail and it turned back into a rod, that that action will speak louder than any words that he could possibly share with Pharaoh. And I'm going to simply challenge us to allow God to work through us and not necessarily talk through us. God said what we do has a voice that's louder than what we say. I want to think about three things this morning that maybe that rod could represent in our lives today because I know it represented some of this in Moses' life. I believe that that serpent, that rod that turned into a serpent, represented Moses' past. I think he possibly slew that Egyptian in anger. I think he lost his temper. Was he protecting an Israelite? Yes. Was it a rightful killing? I don't know and you don't either. It's highly possible that Moses had a rod in his hand and beat that guy to death. And then it's possible that he went out and used that as a tool to help dig a pit in the sand and bury that Egyptian so no one would know about it. Yeah, Moses had a past. And he's trying to run from it in his own way. He failed in many ways. And he becomes self-reliant in the process. You know, if, if he was raised in an Egyptian home, but he had a Hebrew heritage, and he had those truths pumped into him about how good God is in time of need, about how God will take them and, and work miracles in their life, and, and God will meet the needs of their life. Why didn't God meet Moses' need? Why was Moses, at a young age, possibly four years old, possibly as much as four years old, taken from his mother's arm and put in the house of an Egyptian? Can we imagine the pain and the anguish and the separation anxiety of that? No. But it hurt. If God's so good, if God's real, why would God allow me to go through that? If God's so good and God's so real, why am I over here taking up from one of my Hebrew brothers? So much so that I take the life of one of the Egyptians that's supposed to be one of my brothers according to my new life. And people hate me for it on both sides. And he had to run. Pain and hurt in our past sometimes is deep. I believe our past can be one of the most dangerous serpents to get loose in our presence. 
Man, how our past failures can taunt us sometimes. I want to challenge you this morning to do it right now. Do it speedily. The Lord said, grab the serpent now. Now, I want to say when that past is slithering in on you and sneaking up on you and trying to take its hold in your life, you know there's been those uh, snake handlers who thought they could raise that snake from an egg being hatched all the way to this massive boa constrictor, 20, 30 foot long snake. They can handle it because that snake loves them. They raised it. They've nurtured it. They've given it everything it needs. Until that thing one day turns and starts to constrict. And many a, many a owners have been killed by their own snake. How many of us have harbored our past so long that it's gotten big? We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to grab it by the tail. We want it to go away is what we want it to do. But just when we lay down at night, that's when it slithers in the bed with us and begins to wrap around us and say, you're a failure. You're a nobody. You're on the backside of the desert, and nobody loves you. You're a mean man. You're so confused, you don't know whether you're an Egyptian. You don't know if you're a Christian or if you're a worldly person. You're on the fence. Come on, we all been there. And I believe that's a dangerous thing in our lives. And I believe God would challenge us to grab that. How, you might say. Oh, in the simplest terms. Maybe even cliche. I don't know. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from the best word in the whole Bible, all unrighteousness. And how about this? If your past is, is not controlled, it's going to control you. pastor said it best on Saturday night, the last night of the Easter program this year. He said, when the devil reminds you of your past, why don't you do this? Remind him of his future. Because he's the one going to hell, not you. You're saved. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven. And you got a promise in your life. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 11. What an amazing, amazing verse that God put in the Word of God for all of us. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And be not deceived. These people ain't going to inherit the kingdom of God either. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. None of them is going to inherit the kingdom of God. So ain't none of y'all going. I ain't going. Any of y'all going based on that? Oh, come on. It says next, such were some of you. Is there anybody too bad to be saved? Is there anybody worthy to go to heaven? Is there anybody that don't have a past in the room today? Yeah, the baby's over there in the nursery. And that's it. That's it. And even they're liars. I, I can say that. I got a few of them as grandkids. <laughs> they crying because they're hungry. Try to feed them. It ain't that. They crying because they got a rear diaper. It ain't that. Ain't nothing wrong with that diaper. You know what I mean? It's just born into us. We all got a past. Such were some of you, but you are washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Accept that this morning. Accept that your past is ugly. Accept that it's terrible. Accept that you're not worthy. Accept that. Just accept it this morning and reach down and take that thing up and ask God to help you navigate through it. You know, your past is ugly as it is. Oh, my goodness, I just thought about this. Oh, man. You know everybody in the room's got a past, right? So you got, you, you got a bag full of snakes in here. I ain't the only one that brought a bag full of snakes. I got the snakes because it's my bag, and I'm on stage, and I'm preaching this morning. So my snakes are out here for the wide open for everybody to see. You know what? I can't see yours. But, but here's what mine looks like. If your past all of a sudden was revealed and God allowed us to have spiritual eyes enough to see your past and they came slithering out of your bag that you brought in here this morning, come on, what would the people do on the pew with you, on the bench right beside you? I'll tell you what they do. They snatch the muscles right out of 
snatch their arms out of socket trying to get away from you. I think one just got loose back there somewhere. What happened? Y'all see something I didn't see? I'm just, I'm just talking hypothetically now, not for real. When y'all start seeing this stuff, what if God allowed us to, to see those things? Oh, you see them because they're called hurt and pain and anguish. I see them because I know what they are. God says, take those things up. One more verse on this, Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I just came to simply say this morning, we're forgiven. We are forgiven. Take that thing by the tail and let's move on. Grab your past by the tail and let it be a rod again. God can use your testimony a whole lot more. God can use your history better than he can use your secret. You know, your history is his story, as ugly as it is, no matter what's in it. It it doesn't matter. You can't name anything worse than what we just named. And if you and I would quit worrying about somebody finding out about what we did because it's so irrelevant, it doesn't matter. God forgave it. It's behind me. And yes, you can throw it in my face, devil. And yes, somebody else that knows it. If you knew everything about me that I know about me, I wouldn't be up here. You wouldn't sit there and listen to me. But you know what? I wouldn't sit here and listen to you either because we all have it. But God removed it and forgave it. Start using it for His honor and glory to help somebody else through the, going through the same things that you went through. The second thing I want to look at is not only did Moses have a past, Moses has a present situation. Look at chapter 3 in, in verse number 1. It says that Moses led the flock to the backside of the desert. In his present state, He's run as far from everybody that he can run. He's hiding from Pharaoh. He's hiding from his own people. He's even hiding from God. And in his current state, he's defeated. He could easily say, nobody understands my pain. Let me say this morning, the worst pit that anybody can be in here this morning is called self-pity. You know, the self-pit is the one that is the hardest to get out of. And sometimes that thing, because we just keep, we keep feeding that serpent, and we, rather than to pick it up and, and deal with it, we feed it. We, we give it food. And we waller in it sometimes, our pity. You know, when, when Nehemiah found himself in a pit, you know it took 30 men to pull him out? It took one man to get him in. It took 30 to pull him out. It's easier to pull others in than it is for others to pull us out. And our current state of mind can be one of the most dangerous serpents loose in our lives. We need to grab our current state of mind by the tail sometimes before it becomes more dangerous. I'm always reminded of somebody when I'm going through a low spot in my life that was an inspiration to me. I read her book, Johnny Erickson Todd. Some of you heard this, this testimony of hers. At a young age, she dove off into shallow water in a lake foolishly without testing to see how deep it was. It was only a couple feet deep. And as soon as she hit the bottom, it snapped the, uh, her neck and... She severed most of her spinal cord. And her friends had to get in that shallow water and resuscitate her and keep her alive to get her to the hospital. Once at the hospital, she was put on breathing machines and had machines keeping her alive. She had no use of her arms, had no use of anything from the neck down. One of her closest friends stayed with her through it all and said, said to that friend, she said to that friend, listen, I'm a mess. I, I, I don't see a way out. I can't unplug myself. Please turn that machine off. If you love me, you'll shut that machine down. Friend said, I can't do that, Johnny. God loves you too much for you to go like that. Johnny pleaded with her time and time again. Can you imagine being on the end of that one, trying to come up with answers? The day came when Johnny said to her friend, unplug me. Friend said, no, Jesus understands your pain. Johnny said, no, how can he? He's never paralyzed. You say he can associate with me? No, I don't believe it. Unplug me. The friend with grace of God on her life said, Johnny... Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, and he knows what everybody else in the world has ever gone through. You see, one day they took him up Calvary's hill, and they took his right hand, and they nailed it 
And they took his left hand and they nailed it over here. And then they nailed his two feet and he hung suspended between heaven and earth, a paralyzed man from the neck down, unable to do anything for himself. Johnny Jesus understands your situation and he is going to help you through. By Johnny's own words, those words from that friend saved her life that day. Johnny Erickson Todd is one of the greatest advocates for disabled people in the world today. When I contacted her organization several years ago to take on a ministry in Peru, she put me with one of her associates named John Wern. John Wern met me in Peru where we found people that needed wheelchairs that could not afford them. And we took 18 people down there and built 13 wheelchairs ramps and clinics and homes and churches. You know why we did that? Because of somebody's word to Joni in her current situation. You can get through this because God loves you. And this woman is still a blessing today because she dealt with her serpent that was about to constrict and destroy her. She took it by the tail and handled it and now she's a testimony to the world and pulls so many people through their difficult times because she came through hers. God told Moses to grab the serpent now. In his present condition, with the serpent loose in his presence, he needs to move now and take control. I'm just challenging you this morning. In your current situation, whatever's going on in your world at this moment, if it seems to be slithering around and setting up like it's going to strike you, I think with the authority of God, we grab that thing today. I want to say that today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today the Lord is calling, not tomorrow. Today the Lord's giving strength over this thing in our life, maybe not tomorrow. Grab the serpent now. I remember sitting on that second row right there years ago in a men's prayer meeting, crying my heart out to a friend named Bryant Mayo. I told him I was done. Can't take anymore. The pain of the world's too much on me. I can't go. I can't go. I thought he'd get in that pity party with me. <laughs> he slapped me in the face. Not with his hand, but with some words. Paul, down there where you're at, you can't pull nobody up. We don't need you down. We need you up. Others around you need to be pulled up. Can I say in love this morning? Your current situation's got you down. You don't need to be down there. Serpents are down there. That's a dark place. Isn't it? It's a dark place. We need you up. Your friends need you up. Your family needs you up. Your children need you up. We don't need to be down. To get up, we've got to take matters in our hands and get up. I get it, Moses. You're in a terrible present condition. Samson found himself in a terrible present condition because of his choices. Rahab found herself in a terrible present condition. David found himself in a terrible present condition. Joseph found himself in a terrible present condition. But through God's grace, all of them handled their business, took the serpent by the tail and got out of their current condition. My, 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 if we continue to stay in a terrible present situation rather than to deal with it, we may never see the miracles of God that God intended for our lives. Moses grabbed his serpent. Joseph grabbed his serpent. I remember Mary and Martha had a brother Lazarus that had died, and four days later, Jesus came along and they grabbed their serpent. 1 John 4, 4 says, if, It says, Ye are of God, little children, and overcome them, but greater, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want to finish with this thought this morning. Moses has a past. Moses was in a current situation when God called him. But Moses also has a future. And I see it in Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 8. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe they need to hearken to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. I believe the rod represents a bright future for Moses. If he will overcome his fear and grab that thing by the tail and take care of it, his future is going to be bright if he'll just pick up that serpent. You see, God doesn't need our words as much as he needs our actions. 
And this verse says that the action will speak louder than words. Have you ever heard these sayings? Actions do speak louder than words. Let your actions speak for themselves. What you do has more weight than what you say. Someone might say words are cheap. But God said, Moses, I'm going to use you to free the children of Israel. The question is, are you going to be part of the solution? Or are you going to be a part of contributing to the current problem? You see, God's going to free the children of Israel. One way or the other, God's going to free the children of Israel. Moses, you're going to be part of this miracle? Or are you going to sit on the sidelines and watch this miracle take place? But I'm telling you, Moses, I'm calling you to do it. Can I say, church member, today, if there's something holding us back, whatever it is, small, medium, or large, God's work's going to go on. And things around here are going to get done in miraculous ways. All why, if we're not careful, we'll sit on the sidelines because of our own excuses. And by our own words, we'll say, I can't. No, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. I'm sorry. No, no I'm, I'm the wrong person. No, no I'm not going to do that. Somebody else is better equipped. Okay, Moses, if that's where you want to act. But Moses didn't act like that, and he did go to work. Well, Moses went before Pharaoh, and with that rod, he brought ten plagues into the land. He held that rod over the Red Sea and watched the waters part, and the children of Israel departed Egypt on dry land and then held it back over the water the next morning. And all, the, all the Egyptians were in that channel, and the waters came back and flooded and killed every one of them. He struck a rock in the wilderness when the children of Israel were thirsty and water, fresh water, cold water, gushed out of that rock. That rod that Moses carried from the moment on, from that moment on was so profound that you can't speak of Moses without speaking about his rod. In fact, after Moses threw it on the ground and it became a serpent for Pharaoh, it never became a serpent again as long as he lived. Moses had to get some things right in his heart for God to use him mightily. He had to take some responsibility and grab some issues by the tail. And when he did, he didn't have to keep waking up every day and revisiting the issues. He dealt with it one time. God said, grab it now. And he had authority over it from that moment on. I don't think we see it this morning like God sees it. We see it so much more complex than that. God, I can't walk to that altar and it just get better. That's what we do. But wouldn't it be amazing if we could surrender ourselves? So much so that God is so much in our lives that when others see us, they can't identify us without identifying us as a Christian. They can't identify us without seeing Christ in us. What's our future look like if we'll just stop and do what God says to do and take care of the serpents that are in our life? Mark 16, 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. Verse 18 says, They shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover what's it going to look like when Christians in this house start to pick up some serpents in our lives what's going to happen when we do the scary thing and take care of the things that are plaguing us what's going to happen is this we're going to take up that issue that's plagued us and God's going to turn that thing into something that can help prop us up and God's going to turn that thing into something that some miracles can follow and Jesus said the following miracles that's going to happen is there's going to be people around you that you lay hands on that are sick and they'll recover. The verse is a commandment. They take up serpents. I don't believe it's a commandment to bring rattlesnakes in the house of God and prove that you and I can hold them and if we get bit by them we don't die. I'll say it publicly and won't argue with you afterwards. I say that's foolish. I don't think that's of God. I think these serpents are spiritual. I think this is spiritual warfare. And the devil himself is called that great dragon, that serpent, that met Eve in the garden. And he ain't quit slithering today. He's still sliding his way into our lives. And it would do good for us to listen to Jesus every once in a while and take him at his word and take some serpents by the tail and take our life back and say, not by God's grace, I'm going to do different tomorrow than I did today.
truly believe that if we obey Jesus' commandments, some great things will follow in the days to come. Stand to your feet for just a moment as we begin some invitation music softly. I came today with a message for myself. I put a circle around myself. You did the same. It's time for some Christians to start taking back picking up some serpents by the tail and turning them back into something that God can use for His honor and glory in spite of our faults and failures the altar is open this morning if you want to come and ask the Lord to minister to your soul through whatever it is the Lord has showed up in your life I had to come out here last night and get on the altar for a little bit it's not possible to stand and speak God's word in any capacity without him highlighting some things in your own life. And I've no doubt God's invaded your circle this morning in his own way and shared some truths with you about your own life that only you and he knows. If you do nothing this morning, you and I stand the chance of having a testimony like Lot had in Sodom. You remember when Lot went down to Sodom? It was a wicked city. He wasn't sent there just to live in Sodom and raise his family. He was sent there to be a missionary. He was sent there to be a voice. He was sent there to be a light in a dark place. But he kept his mouth shut. And he did not do what God called him to do. And he didn't pick up his serpents. When the day came and God sent an angel to Sodom and said, Lot, I'm going to destroy the city. It's time for you to get your family out. Everybody that you love dear, go ahead and tell them this city's fixing to be destroyed. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 14, the Word of God says that Lot went out, spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. What a sad statement here. But he seemed as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. You see, there will come a day when you and I say no to God long enough about using us. That not only will God not choose us to be used, others around us will not even believe the words that we say in times of crisis in their own lives because we didn't do what God asked us to do in the moments that God asked us to do. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray. I want to pray for these that have come to the altar and I want each of us in the room to ask the Lord to take care of the things that He brought to mind today. And if He didn't, I would find that utterly amazing that God didn't highlight something in everybody's house today. Come down for your children's sake. God, your children are being sent to Pharaoh's house tomorrow at school. Your children are being sent to Pharaoh's house on the TV. They sent straight into the world, being indoctrinated by the world system. By God's grace, if God don't intervene in their lives, we're going to lose some of these kids that's all on this campus today by that world system. Father, thank you for your word. As much as I don't like conviction because it's uncomfortable in my own soul as much as I don't like chastisement because it hurts in my own life I thank you for it I thank you for the ones that have come to the altar this morning and have recognized the need in their life for you to move in a way that only you can I recognize there's little circles all over the room today with people standing in the center of them that have needs in their lives. Lord, you've highlighted them. And only we as individuals, when we walk out of this room, can and are responsible to take care of them in ways that only you can help us. God, thank you for the times in my past when I've had the serpent on me so strong that I felt like he would destroy me. 
And yet you made a way of escape. You made a way to overcome it, the enemy, and put me back on a path. Lord, I'm praying that for the ones at the altar, for the ones in the circles, in the building today, that you'll begin to move and do some miracles in our lives. It'd be a great thing if some testimonies came from a turn of direction that we made today and said, no more am I going to live with the serpent in control. I'm going to control the serpents. Lord, we commit ourselves to you today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, you move as the Lord see fit. testimony has not come back void because you've made some changes in my life through it today thank you for softening some hearts in the building and speaking to some needs thank you that you've given us power over everything the enemy can bring against us thank you that you made it to where it's not our strength it's your strength thank you that you made it it's not our smarts it's your wisdom. 
I pray you'll help us as we leave this place to go out and be used as a mouthpiece for your honor and glory in all the different places that we will go. Help us to see some Moses experiences even today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy your afternoon.